Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Katie F., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, October 11th, 2016. Today we are reading from the big book, chapter 11, and we are at page 155, the second paragraph. Today's readers are Dawn D. on the 12 steps, Diane G. on the 12 traditions, and Jody E. Q., um, and Martha Z and Janice M, not in that order. The reference number for Monday, October 10th, 2016 is 9155. That's 9155. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Dawn D. to read the 12 steps. Hi, good morning. I'm Dawn D. I'm a compulsive overeater. The 12 steps. Number one, we admit it we're powerless over food, that our lives have become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, Admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, Continue to take personal inventory, and when we are wrong, promptly admit it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overuse and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dawn. I will now ask Diane G. to read the 12 Traditions. Good morning, everyone. This is Diane G. from New Hampshire, um, a recovered, not cured, compulsive overeater. The 12 Traditions, number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Number two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. 
Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no option, no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you so much, and I pass. Thank you, Diane G. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, Everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the Big Book, Chapter 11, on page 155, paragraph 2. I will ask Jody E.Q. to begin reading. Thank you, Katie F. This is Jody E.Q., a recovered bulimic in California. When our friend related his experience, the man agreed that no amount of willpower he might muster could stop his drinking for long. A spiritual experience, he conceded, was absolutely necessary, but the price seemed high upon the basis suggested. He told how he lived in constant worry about those who might find out about his alcoholism. He had, of course, the familiar alcoholic obsession that few knew of his drinking. Why, he argued, should he lose the remainder of his business, only to bring still more suffering to his family by foolishly admitting his plight to people from whom he made his livelihood? He would do anything, he said, but that. 
This is Jody EQ, a recovered bulimic in California. Good morning, everyone. So this is Dr. Bob trying to recover along with Dr. with Bill Lewis Wilson. And he realizes that to recover, he's going to have to go around to his business associates and tell them that he is an alcoholic or he feels that he has to tell them that. And that brings the question to my mind. As I go about making my amends, do I have to uh, uh, reveal that I am a bulimic? Yes and no. Maybe, maybe not. But I do have to make my amends whether or not I reveal that I'm a bulimic. In my experience, working step nine, I have not always revealed that I am a bulimic, but I have made amends by changing my behavior towards people, admitting my wrong. Do I always need to admit that I'm a bulimic? It's a good question, and I'd like to hear more shares about that. When you do your ninth steps, do you reveal that you are a compulsive overeater? As it says here, he had, of course, the familiar alcoholic obsession that few knew of his drinking. People notice when we are compulsive overeaters. They notice when we're restricting. They notice when we're overeating. Some people do anyway. Some people don't. Do I need to talk about that when I make my amends? As I say, I don't always, and I'm curious to hear whatever other people have to say about that. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Jody. Who would like to share on this paragraph? Sarah W. Maureen Melissa okay. C. Okay, I have Sarah W. Maureen, I think. Terry Grant. Tina S. Vasa O. There was someone before you, Vasa. Who was that? Terry? Something? Kim G. Terry G. Terry G. Kim G. Vasa. Yes, I know. Vasa O and Kim G. Anyone else? Or Okay, I have Sarah W., Maureen, Tina S., Melissa C., Terry G., Vasa O., and Kim G. Okay, so Sarah W., you're up. Good morning, Katie. Thank you for your service. This is Sarah W., Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater. And not cured, I like that. Um, I, I would just like to say that... Um, the thought that came into my mind is this really requires a lot of humility. Um, you know, the first line talks about um, no amount of willpower he might muster could stop his drinking. You know, uh, for me, I had tried everything to stop. Um, and when I work with people, um, you know, we all can rationalize and say, um, you know, when it comes to am I willing to go to any length, well, you know, there are things maybe that you would think that you wouldn't want to do to have this recovery. 
but we really have to be at the point where we're really willing to do anything. And, um, you know, the humility that that takes and the vulnerability um, to be able to finally say that we're willing to listen to other people or to uh, to have a different way of looking at it. Because um, many of us are, are very um, rigid in our thinking. Um, it's, it's difficult to be open uh, to another way. And, uh, you know, I remember years ago hearing, you know, what do you have to change? Uh, what do I have to change? You know, the sponsor asked, and, and the sponsor says, you know, you don't have to change anything. You have to change everything. And really that's the truth. But, you know, it, it happens slowly really with us. At least it did with me. Um, and I think the other thing that, that um, was spoken about by um, – the previous year, uh, if it is to help someone else in, in the ninth step when we make amends, I think that is when we offer it. Um, and I think the idea of humility and honesty need to be held, you know, and all the other principles that we've learned prior to the ninth step need to be utilized in the ninth step. Um, you know, integrity, honesty, um, the idea of faith, you know, trusting that God will offer it to us, um, what we're to say and how we're to say it. And I think the most important part of the ninth step is saying, how can I make this right? If it's a person that is not going to be abusive, of course. Um, But I think we have to be willing to say that we will change everything. Um, Many times we think that we can do things um, that really are very... um, dangerous for us and for other people, and we have to really have somebody to help guide us through that because oftentimes it's, um, like I said, it's dangerous. I appreciate your service, Katie, and with that, thank you. Thank you, Sarah W. Maureen, you're up. Please tell me the first initial of your last name. Sure. My name is Maureen M. Um, I'm a covered compulsive overeater from New York, and I really like this paragraph because Dr. Bob is caught between um, steps one and two. Like he, you know, he realizes he's powerless and that his life had become unmanageable. He seems to have somewhat admitted that. um, But the disease still has a hold of him. Um, The shame. Uh, that I that resonates in this paragraph to me is um, he would do anything but that. Now that's uh, a half measure of Ellis. Nothing. Um, you know, if they found out who I truly am, then my life would be ruined. Meanwhile, everyone knows that his life is ruined anyway. I mean, that's the. Uh, <laughs> You know, I don't know. I was going to say something else, but I can't say it on the line. Um, That's the way the disease works. It admires us in shame. It tells us that we'll never get better. Um, We're hopeless. Um, What is this uh, higher power stuff? You know, I have to do something. I have to be the one to do it. And the first word and the first step is we. We, I never forget that about the fellowship. It's we. 
It's not Maureen has to do it. We. And that includes a power greater than than ourselves. And I think he's realizing at this point that maybe he has to jump into the next step. He has to come to believe that a power greater than himself could restore him to some sanity. Um, he's in the process, and it is a process, of trusting God, trusting a higher power, trusting the positive power of the people in the program, um, looking at a new way of doing things, setting aside what he has known and trying something new because he's desperate. Now, how desperate is he? He's the only one that knows that. I mean, he may have to go back out there and, uh, you know, test the waters. Um, But that's never bad to me. Oh, God forbid something drastic happens. But even that's in God's will. Um, But hopefully he won't, and hopefully he'll come to believe that Bill is different. And Bill is like him. And how did Bill get different? And then he'll be willing to trust God. The willingness will come. He'll come. He'll come too. He'll come to believe that a power greater than himself could restore him to sanity. His life is insane. And then he'll be willing to make that decision to change everything like I just heard. Um, but it's done process. It's a process, and it's done gently and lovingly through the 12 steps. It's a beautiful miracle program, and I'm so grateful I'm in it, and I hope everyone on the line has a wonderful day and lots of love and peace to everyone. Thank you. Thank you, Maureen M. Okay, Tina S., you're up, followed by Melissa C. Thanks, Katie, for your service. Tina S., Compulsive Eater, Anorexic in Florida. Some great stuff in this paragraph and heard some really good shares. And, you know, I'll, I'll jump on the bandwagon band of um, no amount of willpower, you know, he mustered. Could he stop his drinking for long? And, you know, and I, and I say this for me, you know, um, I was so powerless. And the only reason I came around here because I ran out of options. You know, if I could continue to live successfully with what I was doing, I would still be doing it. And that's just the truth. But I couldn't live successfully. And, um, and you know, and I love what it talks about here also. It's a, a, spiritual, a spiritual experience he conceded was absolutely necessary. You know, and that's for me through working the 12 steps. And, and I, I have to know that if I don't do the deal, I will not get the deal. And that's my experience, you know, because I didn't do it. And when I started, you know, doing something different, I started to get something different. And, you know, it, later on in, in Bob's story, you know, it talks about, you know, he he wasn't willing to do all this stuff. So he drinks again. You know, that's that's his story. He does certainly drink again. Then he goes out and he takes care of, he, he repairs his damage, and therefore then he stays sober uh, from there on. But, you know, one of the things that I like about in this paragraph is I have to continue. You know, I have to continue to to help others, you know, that's what my experience is based on. And if I don't give this thing away, I certainly will not keep it. And I just want to address what was talked about. You know, I I work in the medical field and I work in a doctor's office. And so therefore, you know, the providers I work for, I let them know I'm in in two 12-step programs. And so I certainly let them know in case I can be of service. And, And I think I am intuitively guided. You know, a lot of people where I work know. And I'm just not so anonymous about, you know, what I do today because this is, 
who I am today. So therefore, if I can be of service to anyone else, I, I sure hope that I, I will be. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Tina. Okay, Melissa C., you're up, followed by Terry G. Hi, good morning, Katie. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C., recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And, you know, what strikes me is that the, the, the thing that we're the most unwilling to, to do, to let go of, um, seems to be exactly the thing that we really do need to let go of, you know. And, and I know for myself, my recovery has been about doing the things that I thought were truly impossible, um, that I was unwilling to do. And, you know, and I, I think about, you know, what does it mean to form a, a, a relationship with a higher power, to have a spiritual transformation? Um, you know, I know that my amends process um, completely transformed me, you know, and it was the hard amends that growed you know, my relationship with God, that I was terrified to do it, but I developed trust, you know, and the ones that were easy, I didn't really need to rely on God too much to do. I I sort of went in and I did it and no big deal, but, you know, there was one that at work and I was terrified because um, what was this going to say about my reputation? And I felt um, like I needed to come clean with this person, and for a long time I said, well, this is the one I'm not going to do. I'm going to do it, you know, in a roundabout way, you know, and, and my particular amends to a co-worker was um, I had stolen candy that she had given to me and the guys that I was going to be donating it um, to the troops, and I, you know, and a sponsor that I worked with had told me, well, she was giving it away anyway, so you don't necessarily need to tell her what you did with it, but you need to make sure that you that you make sure that um, the donation gets to the proper to the proper channels now. And I did that, but I didn't feel that was easy, and I didn't feel the release of, of my higher power. Um, but when I did come clean with this person, and I was directed to tell her the exact nature why I was doing this. I'm doing this because I was on a life and death mission. And um, and I told her, and, you know, she knows a lot of people at my workplace, and I was terrified that she was going to tell other people, but I did it anyway, you know, because my my ego um, needed to be shattered. And, um, and when I did it, the, the tremendous relief I felt like nothing else. I felt free. Um, and as it turns out, you know, it was important that I told her my story, you know, because it turns out that she um, has family members suffering with an addiction. And so, um, you know, there I was able to offer hope and fellowship. And, and you know, and my reliance on God only grew. And thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. Okay, Terry G., you're up, followed by Vasa O. Terry, press star one to unmute. I would just like to share um, that in this uh, reading, what stood out for me is that we're dealing with our disease and specifically the obsession uh, part of our disease 
And the only relief that we can have is from a power greater than ourselves. That in mind, it only makes sense to me that I would need to ask that power greater than myself for guidance to help decide if sharing my recovery in this case to someone that would affect my livelihood, which is a pretty important person, um, would in fact be harmful to my family or myself. And if so, I believe that the answer that I would get from God would be, no, I don't need to share that. I still need to make the amends, um, but I don't need to share that I'm in recovery. Um, But only God can tell me that. And the reason I think that is, is because I think that we need to be careful of the ego here. Um, That's what I heard is his ego in the way. And um, that being said, I truly believe that ego is easing God out. So I need to make sure again that I'm God-centered with the decision uh, before I take action. And the shares have been wonderful. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Terry. Vasa O, you're up, followed by Kim G. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Katie, for your service. And Vasa, and Vasa O, grateful recovering, recovered compulsive video calling from Foxborough, Massachusetts. And again, I had a person that 12 stepped me for about a week before I came to my first Overeaters Anonymous meeting. And um, I could relate exactly what she was talking about. Um, and um, I remember her saying, no amount of willpower might mass, might, would stop me from drinking or eating or whatever I was doing. And I tried, you know, to do that for many, many, many years to find a solution, and nothing, nothing worked. And the only thing she said to me, you need to find a power greater than yourself to help you. And she always uh, kind of geared me to God, and I was terrified. I remember saying, to myself, oh my God, I'm just afraid to surrender, you know, to God. But I was so desperate and I was just so willing. I didn't want to die from this disease. And uh, uh, again, I needed to find a spiritual experience to uh, to help me. I needed to find God. And uh, again, I was ready and willing to get on my knees and, and surrender. And I did have that connection with God at that moment, you know, coming from the first meeting. And that and then it was history, you know, I surrendered to the twelve steps, I surrendered to the twelve um, I mean to the meetings, I surrendered to this book. I was just so grateful to finally find a solution. But for me to I did experience some bulimia in my lifetime. Not an awful lot, but I know what it is. And I, I, w- I had really hard time to admit, you know, I was sticking my fingers in my throat. And now I have, you know, I do say it at the meetings, yes, I've had that experience. I've had the experience of starving myself, you know, uh, trying all different ways just to lose the weight. And when I, you know, I didn't know anything about the food addiction till I came. I just knew I could not stop eating, but... I didn't know they called it food addiction disease. So I was kind of relieved to find out that I was one of them. But then I, then I remember saying, well, I'm grateful. At least I know what's wrong with me now. I can 
do what they're telling me to do in this book, you know. So I'm just so grateful. Now just try to give it away what has been so freely given to me over the years, uh, you know, and I'm just so grateful that, you know, we'll be starting again. I don't want to forget where I came from, you know. I, I don't know where I'd be today if I did not find my higher power, if I did not find this program. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Vasa. Kim G., you're up. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G. Well, the man agreed that no amount of willpower he might muster could stop his drinking for long. A spiritual experience he conceded was absolutely necessary. You know, it was pointed out to me recently, you know, that we talk about the first 164 pages, but really, doctor's opinion through working with others is the spiritual experience. That's when we have a spiritual experience. The rest of the pages are about after recovery. So if we think about it that way, that means 114 pages describe the working of the 12 steps. And the step one chapters are the doctor's opinion through more about alcoholism, which is actually 54 pages. So half of the description of the steps is about step one, and that's what he's coming to here. Because Dr. Bob was exposed to the solution. He was in the, in the Oxford group. So what do those chapters teach us? Why is he finally conceding? that a spiritual experience is absolutely necessary. So in the doctor's opinion, we learn the definition of a compulsive overeater. An allergy to the body, which is a permanent condition, when I put certain substances into my body, I cannot reasonably predict how much I'm going to have. And the second part is I have this mental twist. I have this mind that's always going to convince me to go back to the, to the food that I'm allergic to, no matter how much willpower I try to muster. And then I go into Bill's story, and I start to identify in. If that's what the definition of a compulsive overeater is, what is it looking at a human, and do I identify? Do I eat like Bill drank? Do I feel like Bill felt? Do I think like Bill sank? Am I seeing the progression from fun and excitement to necessity to oblivion? And then I go into there is a solution, and I learn about who I am not. I learn about a moderator who can take it or leave it alone. I learn about a hard eater who, with sufficient reason, can stop or moderate. And then I learn about me, the real compulsive overeater. I am without defense against that first drink. I have lost the power of choice. And then I'm introduced to the, to the chapter more about alcoholism, which tells me why I need to come to OA. Because if I just had the allergy, honestly, rehabs would work because they would separate me from my substance and I would be told not to do it anymore. The so more about alcoholism is about, not about people who are drunk and can't get sober. It's about people who are sober and make the insane decision to drink again. That's my real problem. So when I try to use my willpower in keeping on guard, when I try to do halt, hungry, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, when I try to avoid people, places, and things, when I try just to avoid my triggers, what happened? What does the book tell me? It tells me on page 41 that these people prophesied. If I had an alcoholic mind, the time and place would come where I would drink again. I had that strange mental blind spot. Do I concede that? And that's what Dr. Bob's doing right now. And my experience is when you do a really thorough step one, you are propelled to step two because knowing I'm powerless means I need a power. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Who else would like to share on this paragraph before we move on? Larry. Nessa R. Leah Nessa. Leah, Lisa H. Who was Lisa H. 
Okay. Anyone else? Okay. So, Larry K., you're up, followed by Nessa R. Katie, thanks so much for your service. Larry K., recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. Um, you know, we hear in this program sometimes, uh, you know, about the danger of keeping secrets. <laughs> you know, you may have heard the notion of, uh, you know, you know, you're 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 as sick as your secrets goes the saying, you know, and 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 so for me, and I only speak for myself, I needed to know that one of the hallmarks of my disease, of this uh, alcoholic mind, really of any addiction, for me is deception. And see, I'm an addict. Uh, I, I I qualify. I've diagnosed myself, as the big book has instructed me. I have the twofold nature of this illness. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that is the root of my problem here. See, and so as an addict, uh, I deceive others to cover up my addiction, and, you know, and, uh, which may explain why, why most, uh, most uh, sober uh, alcoholics that have recovered know that uh, rigorous honesty is a big piece of this this deal and you know when i return to the habit of deception i risk reopening the door to uh to to that self-centeredness the ego inflation aspect of it so that's just for me you know so so we're and and let's let's also be reminded that when um when dr bob said anything but that you know i uh, you know i'm going to run the risk Let's check our motives, too. I don't know what his motives were about that, but, you know, he, he did. We are going to find out what happened to him. He did, you know, he did end up in Atlantic City, um, and he wasn't, uh, you know, uh, free from this disease at that point because he went on a roaring bender. We'll hear more about that. So the only thing that I tell Pat, I don't know that there's a must with any of this stuff, um, you know, but, but I had to pull the ripcord. And, you know, I'm free today. I'm free today. You know, um, I'll, say, I'll say that, um, you know, in my field, I've worked with people that I've seen the secrets they've held and the motives they've, they've you know, that they've, <clears throat> the reasons they've held those secrets. And sometimes the motives are more about them than, than sparing others. That's not to suggest that uh, had, I don't share everything with everyone, but, I'll t- I, but I could but I could, I'm no longer tethered. I could, I could share who I am with anyone. And man, oh man, is that a tremendous amount of freedom. I'm a big fan of it. I'm a big fan of, of the freedom that this program offers when you're brought into alignment with the God of your understanding. Big fan. Um, thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Okay, Nessa R., you're up, followed by Leah M. Thank you. Good morning, Vision, for you. It's Nessa R. Recovering. Oh, I think somebody's Uh-oh. unmuted. Um, yes, if everyone could please mute. Yeah, so um, here is Bill trying to carry the message to Dr. Bob, who is still um, in his cup. He's still drinking, which means he is still in the grip of the insanity of the disease. And insanity means believing things that are not true and acting on those things that are not true. And one of the things he believes that is not true is that nobody knows about his alcoholism. 
you know, uh, I guess in keeping with the theme of secrets, this is a secret that only Dr. Bob knows, but everybody else knows about it. Um, the only person um, in the town, in Akron, who doesn't know who Dr. Bob, that Dr. Bob is an alcoholic, is Dr. Bob himself. And, you know, that was the case for me, too. Um, you know, I was nearing 200 pounds, and I'm, I'm uh, only five foot one, but I never ate in public. Uh, never ate at other people's houses. I, would, I wouldn't say never, but, you know, usually I didn't eat at other people's houses. I didn't eat at functions, at, at weddings, or things like that. Even at my own dining room table, um, I was very uh, muted in, in how I ate. And, uh, you know, I guess that that would kind of hide the fact that I was fat, really fat. I was obese, in fact. Um, I did uh, most of my eating in hiding at night. Uh, when the bottomless pit would open up and swallow anything in its sight. And yet I believe that people thought that I was a moderate eater. You know, so where did all the weight come from? You know, that is just plain insanity, thinking that, you know, nobody will know. Um, you know, by the grace of this program, I have now been restored to sanity, which means I see the truth, I tell myself the truth, and I don't have to live on a, um, I, have, I don't have to live a life based on, 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 on lies. Um, and one of the lies that I, I tell myself is, you know, um, I can have just two or a little piece is all I need. Um, those are all lies. I will never, ever eat on the truth. And that is what sanity is. Um, that's what the steps do. They return us to sanity. Um, actually, they they uh, unblock us from God who returns us to sanity. That is definitely my experience. And now I don't have to worry about what and how much I eat in public because, you know, food is not an issue for me anymore. I was actually thinking about it the other day, how much I enjoy not eating. You know, um, we just had Canadian Thanksgiving uh, yesterday and uh, I, can, I was I was just imagining, you know, how many people just push themselves away from the table, totally stuffed to the gills, stomachs ready to burst, uncomfortable. And that was not the case for me. I never push away from the table that way. Uh, it is so enjoyable. Um, and it only happened as a result of the 12 steps who brought about the spiritual awakening uh, that moved me closer to, uh, to God. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Nessa. Okay, Leah M., you're up, followed by Lisa H. Thank you very much, Katie. Um, setting my timer here. A spiritual experience he conceded was absolutely necessary, but the price seemed high upon the basis suggested. Uh, we see that uh, Dr. Bob is balking. <laughs> a common response, reaction um, for an addict. Um, you know, there's, a, there's a, a saying, freedom isn't free. And that's exactly, um, you know, what we see here. Freedom isn't free. Most freedoms are difficult. And, and certainly that is true for uh, breaking the chains uh, of addiction. And, you know, that, that is part of the whole, uh, you know, description of addiction. I mean, why do we defy and delay and deny and resist freedom? 
you know, Bill described uh, the action steps required to be free from the chains of alcoholism, and yet we see Dr. Bob here bulking because the price seemed too high. You know, it's the only disease known to man where the sufferer has no enthusiasm for recovery. Given the opportunity to arrest his illness, to arrest alcoholism, and have a whole new life, he's worried about his reputation. He'll think about it. And that's exactly what we do. You know, compulsive overeaters of my type against all evidence, against uh, their own eating history, uh, despite perhaps, you know, arriving on this line regularly, daily, persist in saying, I'm not really exactly like that, therefore I do not need to do these things. I mean, what other illness is like that? You know, people who have cancer accept that they have cancer and they follow the treatment. People who have AIDS accept that they have AIDS and they do the prescribed treatment plan. People who are crippled uh, accept that they're crippled. It's different for people uh, like us. We may act like compulsive overeaters. We may look like compulsive overeaters. We may have a history of compulsive overeating, but our mind says we're not really a compulsive overeater. Therefore, we do not have to do the things that you did. It seems to be the only disease known to man that does that. That's where step one comes in. Because unless we humble ourselves by taking step one, we don't need the rest of the program and we don't see the urgency of the steps. You know, it says here, greed that no amount of willpower he might muster could stop his drinking for long. We're not looking for a temporary respite here. We're looking for salvation. And that is step one, the realization that we were doomed. And we're doomed not because of the allergy of the body, but because of the mental obsession. And we begin to realize, and I'm just wrapping up, that the only solution that will ever work for someone like us, real compulsive overeaters, is something that gets rid of our mental obsession. And the only thing that gets rid of the mental obsession are the, the steps that are designed to relieve us of that mental twist. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you so much, Leah. Um, Lisa H., you're up. Thank you, Katie, for your service. This is Lisa H., um, Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Tennessee. And the, the line that stands out for me is um, piggybacking what Leah had, that a spiritual experience, he conceded, was absolutely necessary. Um, and and how, am I going to, how am I going to effectuate this spiritual experience? Um, and the only way I can do that is by working these steps. And like it says, working it as if my life depended on it. Um, and so that's what I had to do. I mean, this is the only way to get to a spiritual experience is working the steps. It's the only way to combat this double whammy for me, this allergy of the body and this obsession of the mind. Um, you know, once, the, once, the, once my alcoholic binge foods were down, um, I was left with this um, obsession of the mind, which plagued me on a daily basis. Um, I, you know, starting out, still thinking I could do it, that I could somehow do this myself. Um, and, and I had to come to the end of me. I had to, um, you know, they, the other acronym for ego is edging God out. And that's what I was doing. But that's what I learned to do growing up, that I could, that I should, that I would 
if I could just pull up my bootstraps, I could do this deal. Um, and and I, I realized I couldn't. I had to come to the end of me. Um, and so in working the steps, each time I moved through the steps, um, worked the fourth step, gave away the fifth step, on and on, every time I made an amends, this sort of sense of freedom, this weight off my shoulders um, began, to, began to get lighter. Um, but for me to, um, you know, this spiritual experience just doesn't happen once. You know, I have to make um, effort every day. I have to work it every day. Um, it's like having a friendship. Um, I, have to, I have to talk to God every day. I have to pray and meditate. But I can't just do it in the morning, and I can't just do it before bed. I have to do it throughout the day. I have to pause throughout the day and do these little inventories. Where am I restless, irritable, discontent? Um, what's going on? Um, do I need to make an amends? Um, so, so I love this because I have had this spiritual experience as a result of working these steps, um, also living in 10, 11, and 12. Um, and, and, I, and, and when I'm working with others, um, people are going back to the food because it always comes back to I. I can do this, but I can't do this. I have got to have a power greater than myself. Um, and it has, and I have to do it every day. You know, I just have that 24 hour reprieve. Um, so that's all I've gotten. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Lisa. I'd like to share for a minute. My name is Katie F. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And the line that sticks out for me the most is anything but that. And, you know, I, um, I've been living in, in 10, 11, and 12 for a long time. And, you know, a lot of people on this line have. And, you know, yes, we got it down of, of what we can't do with food and what we need to do uh, to work this out. But the reality is I have to stay honest, um, in every area of my life every single day. And if I, you know, I'm doing a behavior and I'm doing something that, um, you know, I want to hide, I'm on a slippery slope. And the first thing, you know, I want to do is, um, ask God for the willingness to, to get honest. Now that doesn't mean I have to you know, make a YouTube video about the dark, ugly uh, life I have lived, or I'm thinking about doing this, or I just did that, or whatever it is. But this is what, um, you know, Bill is learning through this process, is that, you know, Bob was not there yet. He was not willing to go to any length. And if someone's not willing to go to any length, we can guarantee that they're going to go back to the food, or, you know, in this case, alcohol. But for me, it's the food. And that continues today. I can't start living this secretive, um, if, if only you understood my situation, you do this too kind of life ever. You know, it wasn't just about the food. It's about all areas of my life. I am clean today. And, you know, I, I didn't think that would be possible. I just thought um, that I would lose the weight and I would go off into the sunset. Well, if that were true, then I would not find it necessary to be on this line just about every day, and I wouldn't be picking up newcomers to work with to remind me of the insanity that awaits me if I go back. I don't ever want to go back there 
but I will if I forget and if I uh, pick up the attitude of anything but that. And with that, I'll pass. Um, okay, we have a few more minutes if someone else would like to share. Otherwise, we'll jump on to the next paragraph. Okay, Janice M., how about reading um, that next paragraph, the third paragraph on page uh, 155? Okay, <clears throat> yes, good morning. This is uh, Janice M., and I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Being intrigued, however, he invited our friend to the, his home sometime later, and just as he thought he was getting control of his liquor situation, he went on a roaring bender. For him, this was the spree of this was the spree that ended all sprees. He saw that he that he would have to face his problems squarely, that God might give him mastery. Um, okay, um, he, yeah, he was intrigued. He was fascinated. He was curious, you know. Um, but you see, sometime later, and just as he thought, so now it's his thinking still, he still doesn't have that very first step in his mind that if he picks up a drink, he's going to die. He doesn't realize about the grave nature of his disease, which is control, which he's still using, his own control. He's still relying on himself. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, he was abstinent. He thought he could, he had it under control. Just being abstinent for me was okay. See, I can do it. I can do it. I don't need anything else. Then he went on a roaring bender, the drunk of all drunks. Like when I thought I was all set, what happens? The mental obsession comes in and I'm off to the races and a relapse because I depended so much on myself. And I didn't realize, if somebody said to me, you know, Janice, if you pick up that bite tomorrow, you're going to die, guaranteed, you know, like a god. And if I believed that, would I pick up that bite? I don't think any one of us would. Because we don't want to die. We don't want to die. But I think that has to be in my mind, the grave nature, really, too. Because if I still think that I have a little power and control, I'm going to die because I'm powerless. You know, I'm powerless over the allergy and the mental obsession. So he, he and what convinced him? The alcohol convinced him. Bill didn't convince him. Bill, he listened to Bill and everything. But his own fear, Bob's, Dr. Bob's own fear, his own pride, his, the alcohol is the thing that convinced him. So he had a choice, a choice here, like it says on page 25. He had two choices. One, to go to the bitter end, like he was in, in blotting, out, oops, my, <laughs> blotting out everything, his consciousness of this entire little situation, or to accept spiritual help. And so this is what he had to do. He had to become, like somebody said, rigorously honest that he was powerless over the allergy and the obsession of the mind. Doesn't mean that, uh, you know, people say, well, you say I'm powerless. Well, you're not helpless, but you're powerless once you put that drink in or that substance in. 
and he had to convince himself. He had to face the fact that only a higher power could give him mastery. Not him. I don't care if he was a doctor or who he was. I'm just going to be wrapping up. Um, that there had to be a power. Burn the idea in every man that, you know, don't put the, the cart before the horse. You know, his job, his, his, his physician, he's a doctor. Big thing. You know, doesn't matter. He's going to lose everything anyway. So, yeah, this is what history is teaching me. First things first. And with that, I passed. I passed. Thank you, Janice. We have time for one share on this. Who would like to share? Renee C. Okay, go ahead, Renee. Good morning. My name is Renee C., grateful recovering compulsive overeater from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. For him, this was the spree that ended all sprees. He saw that he would have to face his problems squarely, that God might give him mastery. Wow. That is a mouthful. <laughs> I know the spree that ended all sprees. You know, they were the ones that happened in my disease repeatedly where I would pound on the bar, so to speak, and say, how did I get here and why am I doing this? Um, but to face my problems squarely that God might give me mastery or give us mastery, that is really an incredible thought, to face my problems squarely. Not to escape, not to say, I'll start tomorrow, not to say these steps are for everybody but not me, not to say, aha, I finally got it, now I don't have to do anything anymore. You know, I see very clearly day by day how important it is for me to live in steps 10, 11, and 12 and to really work those steps to the best of my human ability imperfectly. And I also see the importance, and I am in the process of working through the first step with a big book guide. Thank you, God. <laughs> it's really wonderful. And a little scary and a little intimidating, but I'm willing to go to any length for today. So with that, I will pass. And thank you so much for sharing, and thanks to everyone who shared on this meeting. And thank you. Okay, we will now... Um have the reading from, okay, I'm sorry. Thank you to everyone who has shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Martha D. please read A Vision for You? Good morning, my friends in recovery. This is Martha Z. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater by the grace of God from near Philadelphia. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to Him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. 
Until then.